Beyond the Ranch with Jay Gannon from Find the Ranch. Welcome to another episode of Beyond the Wrench. My name is Jay Gannon, and today I get one of my favorite guests and favorite people in the industry to join me again. I don't know how I how I tricked him into doing this, but uh, Tanner Brandt, welcome back to the show. Of course, I, everybody knows Tanner, it feels like, but uh, for those of you that don't, uh, Tanner is the owner of Auto Diag Clinic, a new name. I, I this This is really throwing me for a loop here, Tanner. <laughs> no worries at all. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming back on. So uh, I, I conned you on to getting back on here again. Uh, and I just won because you you bring so much insight and so much uh, of just knowledge about not only just independent shops, but dealerships. And yeah, you've got kind of a little bit of a background and a whole bunch of stuff. And and one of the things we wanted to dive into today, and I think it's more just because of my lack of knowledge than anything, is is diving into mobile diagnostics. And you know that's your specialty. And I, I guess I want to start with why did you get into mobile diagnostics in the first place? Sure. So probably about five years ago now, roughly, um, I learned that there was guys doing this and going out and uh, diagnosing vehicles for people. Uh, I had always, you know, liked the diagnostic side of it and always, you know, kind of focused on that when I was at a shop working, I did mechanical repair as well, but always was better at diagnostics and enjoyed that side of it. And the more that I started getting involved in uh, the training side of the industry, that was when I learned that, you know, there was a bunch of guys that attended training all the time. And what those guys did was mobile diagnostics. They went out to shops and uh, if a shop was stumped, they would diagnose the car for them and then leave and the shop would fix it. Uh, they'd go on to the next one, or if it needed to be programmed that they would then program the vehicle. So about five years ago, when I realized that I said, Oh, you know, I think I could do that. I had to put myself in a position to be able to do that. Uh, I'm originally from upstate New York and that's where I was at the time. So I had a mobile repair business up there and did stuff for construction companies and uh, fleets and kind of just all kinds of different things from tractors to cars to tow behind construction equipment, you know, you name it. And I got involved in that because it was, you know, something nobody could diagnose that stuff because it was all uh, pretty much equipment that came from Europe and whatnot, but trying to, you know, do mobile diagnostics on vehicles, getting into wiring harnesses and things like that with there's two feet of snow is not great. So right. You know, had to put myself into a position of moving someplace warmer that, you know, had a market for it, still had a lot of shops um, and had a need for it where I could do it without snow. So how'd you end up in South Carolina? Like, it, like it, 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 obviously South Carolina is a gorgeous place, but you just pick up and drive down to South Carolina and there you are. <laughs> so sort of. Um, in 2013, I came down to South Carolina to help a shop for six months. Um, before I went back home to New York. So I came down here, rented a house for six months, helped a shop with some projects and then went home. So always liked the area since then. Uh, when we decided that we were going to move from New York, my now wife, she was my uh, girlfriend at the time. Uh, basically, we kind of decided that we were going to go someplace warm. So originally we started, we wanted to uh, go look in North Carolina. Cause that was, I always, I had a background in racing as well. So really wanted to be in like Mooresville area, be back into the racing thing. Uh, very fortunate for me, a uh, friend from a past life when I was on a racing team, uh, she found out that we were actually there looking at houses with a realtor. She saw through my Facebook um, and called me and told me, Hey, if you are, considering buying down here, you need to come to the race shop. So it was a woman by the name of Elena Long. She uh, unfortunately is no longer with us. She passed oh. away, let's see, last year, two, two years ago, possibly now, but her and her husband, Tom Long owned uh, Long Road Racing, which was the Mazda Miata MX-5 cup cars. They were the sole provider for that up until last year, but they called me, Elena called me and said, Hey, stop down at the race shop we should talk about, you know, this area and I should talk to you about pay in the area. So you have an idea of whether this is a good idea and whether you should be looking at houses. So 
she was very honest with me and explained to me the pay in the area and what the pay uh, wasn't, I should say. (laughs) So given what I wanted to do, she thought that it would be tough to, you know, find a shop for the time being to get me on my feet in there, in that area. So we spent a week there, looked at houses and then came down to Greenville and started looking at houses down here. Uh, Also looked in, let's say we looked around Lake Norman area, North Carolina. We looked in Greenville and then around Lake Lure, which is kind of middle of nowhere in the mountains. So wasn't a lot in that area. So that was why we didn't choose there. Uh, and once we went downtown to Greenville, my wife kind of fell in love with it. Um, she got a job offer, you know, months after we moved. So it worked out, but I pretty much came down, worked for a shop for, I think probably six months before I started the business down here. So it just worked out well. The area is beautiful quite a bit of money because of uh, BMW, North America, ZF, um, Drexel Meyer. There's a whole bunch of, you know, different manufacturing here. So decent amount of money and tons of shops. So it worked out well. How, so the racing thing fascinates me, right? Because that, that was, you, you know, this about me, like I, I had a racing background too. And it's just, I don't think that ever gets out of your system. Like I, I, once you're, once you're kind of infected with that bug, it's just there for the rest of your life. I was so close to going to, is it Catawba Valley Community College? Yep. In, uh, I, I, in Hickory or somewhere like. Yeah, 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 up in that area. Yeah. Yeah. So I was, I was, I mean, packing my bags ready to go there. And then I chose to go somewhere else. But it, it, uh, I love the, their, their uh, fabrication program. And I loved everything that they were doing. You know, I think they put a lot of guys on like Hooters Pro Cup teams and stuff like that and that was always what I wanted to do and I'm I'm always jealous of people that actually did it because I think it's such a such a cool thing to do such a brave thing to do and uh to be able to immerse yourself in that racing community is pretty pretty damn awesome the thing I miss about it is the family atmosphere I think um I think our the repair side of the industry could learn a lot from that when I was on the race team I mean there was really never any drama Um, I did it for a little over two years and it was, uh, what then was the Grand Am series. Now it's the Rolex series, um, or IMSA is what it is now. So, you know, it was neat. It was BMWs and it was, you know, fun and I enjoyed it. Unfortunately, I graduated, uh, high school, went into college during the recession. So pretty much (laughs) showed up one day and the doors were locked and that was that. Um, just like you know, most of the people in racing during that time. So because of that, you know, I couldn't pursue that at that time. I pretty much, again, the contacts I had from, uh, you know, that part of my life, when I graduated, I called down to North Carolina to some of these areas or some of these teams. I'm like, you know, are you, do I have a chance at this? Should I even pursue this? And they're like, yeah, we just laid everyone off. So oh. might as well find something else. So that's how I kind of went from racing then to the repair side. I do you know, I miss it. And I uh, wish that the repair side could learn, you know, the family side of it and stuff. But with that said, there is a lot of um, ups and downs, I would say in that industry. I just finished actually last night, ironically, a book by Kelly Earnhardt called Drive. I want to read it. I've not read it yet. (laughs) So there, uh, if you are follow that part of racing, um, Justin Allgaier is one of the junior motorsports drivers. Um, his sponsor, Rick Brandt, is somebody that I know. And oh, you so, know him with the with the ag stuff, Brandt. Uh, yeah, wow. Yeah. So ironically, I have no relation to him. Uh, my last name is the, <laughs> my last name is the same, but I, I met him through you know going to races and stuff, and that was I was just you know got very lucky, and that's how I had met Rick. So my brothers, you know, are pretty good friends with him and stuff. But so I saw that he had shared it. So I went and read that book and I had been waiting to read it once he shared it. So I finally found it actually right before Christmas in a Barnes and Noble. So anyways, I just finished reading it and it's, you know, she talks about the different things that happen there where maybe you pretty much have to lay off, you know, one whole part of your company because either that team dissolves or, you know, something happens, you switch away, maybe you get out of a series or something or move into a series. So you're talking like massive layoffs, you're, you know, you might lay off 50 people at a time, that those 50 people now are looking for a job when there's only 40 teams or whatever there. So 
hard to stay involved in. And it seems like the people that are in it are there for their life. So. Yeah, there there's uh, I know it, I'm a little off topic here, but there's some, I've talked to some folks in, uh, in NASCAR specifically that going to that single chassis in 2000, it's supposed to be, I think next year, um, it, it uh, might be a bit of a challenge for some of those teams, because I, I think there's going to be not enough work to go around for a lot of those guys. And that, that kind of, st that stinks. Yeah. Well, maybe they'll come and join, you know, maybe they'll get into diagnostics. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you could just set up in Mooresville and just start teaching uh, around there. Yeah. 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 Um, so on the mobile diagnostic side, what, what is it like what your, your, your typical customer is a shop, right? You're not going to an end user. You're, you're going to maybe a shop that can't figure something out. Am I right? Yep. So myself and I would say a majority of the mobile diagnostic guys, uh, do not deal with consumers. We only deal with the shop. Um, some of them, you know, might deal with a consumer here or there. Uh, but basically a shop calls me and says, Hey, uh, it, I guess I would say it depends on the shop. So some shops don't call until, you know, they're really stumped on a vehicle and they've, you know, tried a couple different things. Um, other shops that, you know, don't want to deal with that may call and say, Hey, this car came in, it's got check engine light on. We looked at it. We don't think it's something we can do. We just rather have you look at it and then the guys can get back on it and fix it. So it goes, you know, either way. Sometimes it's, I prefer it to go the second way. Um, sometimes when parts get changed prior to us getting there, the waters can be a little bit muddy and uh, is with vehicles today, it's very tough with uh, used parts and used modules. And sometimes they may not know that and that can cause other issues and it ends up costing them more money in the long run. So definitely prefer it the second way. Uh, but yeah, don't really deal with the consumer side for the mere fact that, well, we're there to support a shop. So we don't want to compete with the shops. That's kind of the goal. And the fact that I don't do any repair anymore. So if right. I was to go to a consumer, I could tell them what was wrong with it. Um, I'm not going to be the one repairing it regardless. So then they'd have to repair it or still take it to a shop. Uh, and then obviously if the shop doesn't know who I am, you know, not maybe not trusting my, um, diagnosis or something wanting to diagnose it themselves. So just easier to deal directly with the shop than the consumer. Do you, do you battle pride with, with other techs? Like, and when I say that, like somebody that maybe doesn't feel like they got enough time for it, or like they, they just, you know, I think everybody's got their butt kicked by something. And yep. I, I think it, it is a tough pill to swallow sometimes for, uh, for some techs if they if they can't figure it out on their own sure so <laughs> I would say that it depends on the situation I have certainly um, one shop in particular I won't mention names or anything <laughs> they um, struggled with a vehicle and I got called by it was actually a used car dealer that sold the vehicle six months after they sold it the car had an issue a uh, lady took it to the shop. They threw parts at it for you know a few weeks, couldn't figure it out. She called the car dealer. He was willing to pay me to go over and look at it. Um, okayed it with the shop. I got out there and they pretty much met me in their front office and said, we don't need your help. We know what we're doing and we don't want you to look at it. So, you know, that can happen. Most of the time though, um, I sit down. If, if there's that issue, I'll sit down with the technician that's worried about it. Um, explain to them what I do and, you know, why I do what I do. Um, and then offer that once I figure it out, I'll bring him over and, you know, show him what I found and how to find it the next time. I'm, I'm all for if the technician wants to learn, if the shop wants to learn, uh, helping them learn, I've, you know, do hands-on training for shops and then obviously teach for world pack as well. So my big thing is to help the shop, help the technician, um, but if they don't want to learn, they don't want to know anything, that's fine too. You know, I'll look at it and just tell them what's wrong with it. So. Yeah, you know, I think that's cool. Like I, I, that, that you would take the time to, to sit down and, and even from the standpoint of, I've seen some really good techs struggle with, uh, a, you know, maybe even something where they're overlooking something simple and they get frustrated by it. And we've all had it where you've, you're better off just to take a step back and get another set of eyes on it. So I, you know, I think there's, 
if they understand that piece, I mean, that's, and especially if you're willing to kind of show them what you found and, and not, you know, not stick it in their face, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, truly trying to help them. Right. And I think the big thing too, that to, to, I try to explain is I'm there to help, you know, I'm not there to tell you, this is what's wrong. You guys are, you know, dumb. You should have found this. I'll, I'll never do that to a shop. You know, I wouldn't like it done to me. So they certainly wouldn't want it done to them. And I think the big thing too, is you'll find, and you know this now, cause you've gone to some conferences and stuff that most of the guys that are really good um, are always humble. You know, the guys mm-hmm. that I've learned from have all been super humble. So you're not going to deal with, if you call a mobile diet guy, I mean, pretty much every mobile diagnostic guy across the U S is somebody that I know. Um, and I would say that the majority of them are all very humble and very kind and aren't ever going to you know say anything bad. And they're just going to be there to help you yeah. um, and willing to teach, you know, if somebody wants to learn. I was surprised by that. And, and if I'm being just transparent or like honest with you, because a lot of these mobile diet guys have a right to be you know, maybe a little bit arrogant or a little bit, you know, they're the best of the best. They're really, really damn good at what they do. And you're so spot on. All of them are so extremely kind and humble and just not, you know, I've never had a bad experience uh, with any of them. And even, uh, you know, calling you or calling, uh, you know, I'm trying to think off the top of my head, I've, you've introduced me to so many people, but I, I've called a few of them, Mike Reynolds, I think like, yep. it, there's, there's a few of them where, you just reach out and they're just completely open. Like they'll tell you, you know, what they think and, and, you know, they give you whatever time you need. I mean, it's just, it's really, really impressive. Right. It's, you know, I, I think the big thing too is we diagnose such difficult problems on a daily basis that we know what it's like to get our butt kicked. I mean, to say <laughs> that we don't get our butt kicked is, you know, <laughs> would be lying. So we know how tough it can be. And we, you know, understand that you can't know everything. I mean, the stuff that we look at, you know, I talk with shops about this from time to time too, is they're like, you know, you see such different stuff than what we see and, you know, we wouldn't need to know that, but then once in a while they'll get a car that kicks their butt. And I'm like, well, you know, here you go. Here's your chance where you, you might've needed to know something. So, you know, we see just crazy stuff. So when we get our butt kicked, it sucks, but we do the same thing. You know, at the end of the day, most of us again, know each other, call each other. So if I'm stumped, the first thing I'm going to do is go, ah, you know, I'm going to come back in a couple of days. Let me talk it over with some guys. And I call all the guys. I'm like, has anybody ever seen this? What do I, you know, what am I doing wrong? What don't I know about this system? Um, and I would say that's kind of the difference too, between a mobile diagnostic guy and somebody that, um, you know, doesn't specialize in diagnostics, I would say is the network, you know, sure. And I think that also comes down to how we learn, you know, being able to ask questions. If a technician has a pride issue and isn't willing to ask questions, isn't willing to have somebody else look at it, you know, they're never going to learn. I get beat up enough that I know that I need to call people (laughs) and ask somebody that knows more than me. I mean, there's a lot of guys older than me that have done this for 20 or 30 years. And I call them and they're like, Oh yeah, you got to do this. Didn't you know that you haven't done one of these? And I'm like, no. <laughs> so yeah, we're, we're used to getting beat up. So we don't want to beat up the shop. Well, so how, how often have you just been completely stumped? Like you go in and you're like, there's gotta be a couple stories where something just, it just whooped you. Sure. <laughs> so uh, perfect example, a couple, couple weeks ago, um, I looked at a car for a large used car dealership, um, like I would say CarMax size. It wasn't a CarMax dealer, but another dealer like that. Um, and when I got there, they had an issue with a transmission that they had put in that uh, the park reverse neutral indicator didn't work. So the transmission wouldn't shift out of gear. Uh, what I did not know is that they had been swapping parts from other cars on their lot, which it was a global a vehicle, which those of you that don't know what global a is basically you can't put used modules in or you'll corrupt things and cause problems. So they didn't tell me, you know, they had put an engine in this like months prior and then it went back to the customer was fine. They put a transmission in it, had an issue, took it out, put another transmission in it, still had the issue, then started swapping parts and I got called. And the first thing I noticed when I was there um, is it had some codes for intake air temperature sensor, 
uh, and some other circuit codes. So I started, I'm like, well, I picked the simplest thing first to look at. That's, you know, just part of my diagnostic process. So I looked at those and the first thing I did was, you know, I'm like, all right, this circuit's got a problem. I went to it, checked it, powers and grounds, uh, didn't have any power, went to the fuse box and I'm like, there's no fuses here. There's also no terminals where the fuses are. So, you know, why does this have the wrong fuse box? In it? And I didn't know anything about the car at that point. So I started asking and, you know, they're all, uh, you know, we, no, we didn't do anything with it. And I'm like, look, I don't know if you did something with this or not, but the fuse box is wrong. I need the fuse box before I can do anything else. Like I'm done here today until you get the correct fuse box. And finally, one of the guys is like, Oh yeah, two weeks ago when they started swapping parts, they put a fuse box from another car. I'm like, well, where's the other car? Cause that one's got the wrong fuse box in it too now. So they swapped that back and you know, long story short, I went round and round and round with, they had the wrong computer in it. They had, you know, just a bunch of different stuff. Um, and I did eventually, you know, diagnose it and diagnose it correctly. Once we got all of that out of the way, um, it ended up the internal, the transmission, the uh, TCM was bad uh, and wouldn't read. I kind of assumed they told me that the uh, pan bolts were loose on it. I sort of assumed the junkyard that had it may have hit the TCM because the plug is at the bottom, right about where a set of forks would hit. So my guess is if they pulled the pan, that's what they would have found. Oh. Um, but they ended up the junkyard warrantied out the transmission car was fixed. It went away. But so when you get something like that, you know, it's tough. Um, I talk about the importance too, of, you know, being able to not misdiagnose a vehicle and, you know, following a diagnostic process. But when you get something that's got multiple issues, <laughs> then the, you know, the waters get muddied and your diagnostic process sort of goes out the window. So that's not to say either that, you know, I don't misdiagnose stuff. I probably touch 300 to 320 cars a year or something wow. like that. And I keep a running list of what I misdiagnose. And my goal is, if I misdiagnose something, that means I'm either not good at it or I don't understand that system. I need to get more training on it. So that list normally has, you know, a couple cars by the end of the year. It doesn't typically have more than that. So out of 300, you know, a few. A couple but, cars. Uh, you, you know how to make me feel like crap, Tanner. Out of all <laughs> those, out of all those cars, you got a couple. Yeah, I had <laughs> I had one last year on the list. So last year was a pretty good year. That's a hell of a year. That, that But that, I think... <laughs> That goes to, I, while you're talking there, one of the things that stuck out to me is that could be a glaring endorsement for World Pack or anybody that does training because it, it really is that if you have a shop manager that doesn't believe in training, that's like A1 right there of like just simple knowledge of a system that could have saved you all kinds of time and money and headaches and it, it doesn't, you know, it's not like you're going to go put that money into training and then you're going to see it the next day that it's just going to automatically flip. And that's where we like the training of these techs is just so important. I think we miss that a lot. Yeah. It, and that's a big thing. And what's very, very interesting. And this goes for all mobile diagnostic guys. We talk about this constantly. Um, there's two questions we get asked all the time. Every one of us, a, how do I do what you do? And B, how much would it cost to hire you? So <laughs> the, the second one, typically, I just always kind of blow off and I'm like, oh, you know, I'm not sure, but I'm not looking right now. And I, you know, I don't want to say I don't want to hurt their feelings, but typically that's what it comes down to. They don't, you know, under, they don't understand what the cost would be to do something like that. Um, but then that, you know, directly relates to the first one, the cost of hiring somebody like us would go directly to training each year. So, you know, how do I do what you do or how do, how does my tech learn what you do? You know, I've done in-shop training that was maybe, you know, an hour here or an hour there that a shop wanted to do. And then they call me, you know, two weeks later and they're like, Hey, we're stumped. We need to do this. And then the you know shop owner may come to me and go, you know, didn't they learn this when they took that training with you? And I'm like, no, we literally, you know, maybe went over how to use a specific scan tool, maybe how to use a specific scope or something like that. And they don't really understand either that, you know, in four hours time or eight hours time, maybe they take one class and they're like, Oh, they should know how to do this. Um, you know, I specifically for when I really, really got into training and mobile diagnostics for a course of probably three to four years, probably three years 
come, you know, three years total. And then the first year was kind of when I started to spend money. But then when I got really heavy into it, three years total of probably $10,000 a year I spent in training, um, probably roughly 150, 160 hours a year, maybe more. Wow. Wow. That, but that kind of shows the level of dedication you need. And, and really, I think what I love about you is how dedicated you are to your craft, right? Like you, you, you are trying to get better. You know how, you know how much this stuff changes. And, and like you said, it's not, you can't take a four hour, a four hour class once a year and expect to cover all the systems and everything. It, it really is a, you have to be intentional about it. You have to budget it in. If you're a shop out there that wants to really take this seriously, you got to budget, you got to, you got to plan for it. You got to sign them up in advance. And it, it's a really tedious part, especially when you start adding more and more people to the fold. Um, it takes time. It takes, it, you know, we say it on the recruiting side, like when a shop wants somebody, if they need them today, they should have been looking like three or four months ago. It's kind of the same thing with training where if, if they need that training, they probably should have had it, you know, a while back. Cause if you don't get it then, then you're falling even further behind on the even more current stuff. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, trying to understand sending your text to training and finding the training for them. One of the things I see is, you know, sometimes they'll look at training, they'll be like, Oh man, that's really expensive. Or, Oh, you know, the guy doesn't want to go. He wants to you know stay home with his family and stuff. And I get that. And obviously this year it's been good for that. They can just take the training online. Sure. Um, but you know, that's the big difference is you've got to have somebody, if, they want to do diagnostics or they want to become a mobile diagnostic technician. You've got to have somebody that's willing uh, to get the training and willing to put the time in. I have one of my shops here, um, phenomenal shop and phenomenal technician. The guy used to be a trainer for AC Delco. So he's just like me. Uh, he owns a European shop. Now I use his shop for a lot of case studies. He and I talk about it every time I'm there, you know, the differences he and I, when we're, you know, go home at night, we're watching a YouTube video or we're reading a book or we're, you know, on diagnostic network or somewhere, you know, that's, I don't want to say it's my hobby, but it pretty much is, yeah. you know, to get to a point. And, and some people don't want to get to that point with, a, they want a job and not a career, I would say. I mean, you've got to make time for family, obviously, too. I pretty much try to take my weekends off if I can, unless obviously I have an event like this past weekend. Sure. Um, but I try to take weekends off and, you know, not really answer my phone too much. And I don't work on the weekends. I, you know, try to go hiking or mountain biking or whatever to take some time off it, but I don't really have a hobby outside of this, the, you know, tool and equipment stuff and training stuff. That's what I enjoy. If I'm sitting watching YouTube, I'm still typically watching something about cars or about, you know, tools and equipment, things like that. So, yeah. if, you know, again, if you want to have a job, that's one thing, you know, I see that, a lot where people are like, ah, oh, this is a job. I don't really want anything outside of it. But I would say if you want a career um, and you want to make good money in the automotive industry, then you've got to look at the automotive industry as a career and, you know, go about it that way. You know, from the shops that you deal with um, good shops that, you know, have hired coaches and stuff, those guys, the business guys, that's all they think about. You know, they're not, <laughs> when they sit at home at night, they're reading a business book or they're listening to a business podcast. You know, that's, yeah all those guys do. Well, and I think that goes, I mean, that's any profession, right? You're always going to have that top 2% or, you know, the people that ingrain themselves in the industry and truly view it as a, uh, as a, I don't know, like a craft and you're trying to continually perfect that craft and you're trying to get, you know, better. And I think even when you're evaluating a tech, if, if you want, you know, if you're a manager or if you're a tech that's out there right now and you're like, how do I get better? Like I, maybe my independent shop that I work for, my dealership, they have me down on the list on training and I can't ever get training. There's opportunities out there for you to learn on your own. And you, I think there's some of it where you just got to have the want to, you got to, you got to want to go do it. And, and it's just, that's every industry, every profession. I think there's people that you know, when they take it seriously, they read that, that had such a profound impact on my life was when I had a boss at one point that just, you know, he's like, how are you not reading? Like you're re you're not reading, you know, whatever. And then I went to a conference and the conference said, if you, 
if you read a book a month, you're, you're above 99.5% of college graduates, not of everybody, college graduates. And, and so you look for advantages and how you can get better in your career. And that's what I, you do it times 10, you know, like that you just, you're always looking for that way to improve yourself. And I think for those young techs out there, especially like if you want somebody to look after one, you should connect with Tanner on LinkedIn or somewhere and find him through world pack or, you know, whatever, because he just brings so much to the table in regard to this, uh, this subject specifically, but two, I mean, there's, there's opportunity to learn out there, isn't there Tanner? I mean, it's not like you can't just sit on your hands and say, Hey, the shop's not giving me any training. Exactly. I mean, you got to reach out and see what's out there for training. And the big thing that I talk about too, is figure out what training you need. The biggest thing I see um, with people that start coming to training when we get them involved is they'll go to a class and they'll be like, I didn't really learn anything. One example, I have a real good friend. I won't mention his name, but he'll know who he is. Um, he's a dealer technician. And the first time he came to training, I'm like, at the end of the day, I'm like, Oh, you know, what do you think? It's the first time you're here. He's like, I didn't really learn anything. I'm like, what classes did you take? And he took all the classes on the manufacturer for the dealer that he worked at. And I'm like, you've already been through all those classes. I'm like, that's not what you take. You take what you don't know. <laughs> you know, you work on used cars there. And he's like, well, yeah, I'm like, so take something that doesn't have to do with that manufacturer. So, you know, the rest of the weekend, that's what he did. And then he learned a lot. So, you know, yeah, you want to right? Like the yeah. thinking and the, like you talked about the diagnostic process. I know I, I like, I just, you and I talked about this before, but reading that article, um, who, who just wrote that article in Motor Age? Uh, it was so good. Brandon Steckler. Yep. And like the diagnostic process and like, it's just that kind of stuff, the, the thinking through problems and thinking through, you know, having a plan when you go in and it, it's not just plugging in a scan tool and expecting that it's going to tell you everything you need to know. It's knowing the other stuff and I, I don't know, that always gets me fired up, but like, uh, you know, that, can you talk to that a little bit, like the diagnostic process? Because yeah. I, I think you know what article I'm talking about, don't you? Yeah. So, and, and Brandon's, you know, one of my best friends. So one thing is he and I both share a mentor. I mean, his mentor was Jim Morton and Jim's helped me a lot through the years. Um, we've all learned diagnostic process through guys like Jim, through guys like um, John Thornton, or, you know, one of the ones I learned a lot from was Mark Warren, my boss. Now um, that was always a big subject that he covered. Bernie Thompson covers it. Um, you know, it's something that you learn through training. And I think the most interesting thing for me and not to um, knock these guys when I talk about it, but that wasn't something I learned in high school automotive. It wasn't something I learned in college automotive. Um, and I would say the reason for that is, is, you know, neither my high school instructor as good as he was, or my college instructors, I had great instructors, but they weren't involved in this side of, you know, the training thing. And most of the diagnostic process, most of the high-end training like that comes from these aftermarket training events. And these guys that, you know, have been mobile diet guys for 20 years and they know what works and what doesn't work. You know, I just helped, uh, if you know of Shopware, the shop management system, I just helped with that. I had approached uh, Carolyn Coakletts, the owner of it. She's a, you know, really, really great friend of mine. And also another person that's a, you know, phenomenal technician too. People, a lot of people know her as a business owner, doesn't know she has a shop. And she was exactly like I was like hugely wow. involved in training and that's how she got started. So, but I had approached her with Shopware. I said, Hey, I want to build out these diagnostic process charts in the program. So she built some of them out and then I built some of them out. And I think, um, you know, some other people had a hand in it, but that's stuff that you don't see out there because it's not, you know, it's not taught by a manufacturer. It's not taught in school. So it's just such an interesting thing. And when I approached her with a, you know, that idea, she's like, this is phenomenal. I love this idea. And so she just ran with it. And it's such an important thing to learn. Um, that specific project that I did or, you know, had approached her with is I approach every single, you know, no start, no crank vehicle the same way. I, you know, approach every cranking no start the same way, every single cylinder misfire the same way. Um, and I write that down and I follow that process every single time. But that's not something that, you know, 
I should say I came up with my process on my own. Every single one of us that's a mobile guy, you'll yeah. find if you ask them, every single one of them's got a different process that they do stuff in different orders, but you kind of, you have to learn how to do the testing to then come up with the process. So Brandon's one, you know, he's phenomenal with that and he's a trainer and uh, does, you know, classes for us, does classes for CarQuest and that's his specialty. You know, he's a phenomenal diagnostic technician. So you've got to be able to get out and go to those classes and you've really got to you know, look for those classes, I would say, because if you're somebody that's at a shop and you're like, Hey, you know, maybe I'm going to throw them under the bus a little bit here. Um, <laughs> maybe, maybe snap on offers a class and that's all you go to. Most of the time their classes, you know, going to be geared towards whatever um, piece of equipment it's on, which isn't a bad thing, but they're not, out selling a diagnostic class they're not out selling you know stuff like that so if that's the only people that come to you then that's all you're going to see so you really got to go out and talk you know look and see what else is out there youtube has been a huge thing so you can find out about guys through youtube you can find out about stuff going on through youtube or through facebook or through diagnostic network and then just get yourself out there you know the shop doesn't necessarily have to pay for it um, obviously they say i paid for it you know for pretty much the whole first half of my career um, I did have one shop that I worked for right before I moved away. He was the last shop I worked at in New York. Um, I had a tool allowance each month and I asked him, I said, you know, can I take this tool allowance and pay for training instead of tools? You know, I didn't really at that point have anything I needed. So I was using the tool allowance each month to pay for, you know, put towards training each month. It didn't cover nearly what I spent, but it right. at least covered, you know, some of it typically that covered the actual event, I would use that to pay for that. And then I would pay for travel out of my pocket. So is there an opportunity? And, and just as, as somebody that went through tech school and I was not good diagnostically, I actually, what's funny is that after I went and worked for Bobcat company for quite a few years, I got better at it because I was forced to sit through a whole bunch of classes uh, because we, I ran an affiliate center here. And so I would sit through a lot of classes and some of the stuff was like a light switch. Once you listen to it a few times, you're like, oh, that, that was, I was overcomplicating that to the max. Like that was way easier than it was <laughs> than I thought it was. But I, I almost feel like there would be an opportunity from a, a, maybe a tech school standpoint, foundationally to, to have that principle up front of a diagnostic plan and saying, okay, you're going to go into this. You need to know what condition you're, you're battling. And then if you have a consistent plan going into it, and then if you were able to start going and in, diving into the testing from there, um, and I'm just kind of spitballing here, but it was like, it like to me that that's something that kind of clicked to me was like, okay, if I would have known why, you know, doing a voltage drop matters, like, it, you know, and I, I think the schools, they try to tell you that, but in my head, if it would have been like, okay, you have this process, and you need to go do like, like, this is why this is important. You're trying to verify that this is working and that this isn't working. And, you know, I feel like we miss that part. Like yep. we, we just, we try to go into this advanced diagnostics, like right off the bat. Um, or even from a student standpoint, you're probably like, I don't need to know that basic electrical stuff. I'm going to go straight to, you know, the scan tools and learn how to diagnose all this stuff. And yep. You know, I think it's a maybe a problem on both ends, but it, to me, I think that would have hit home with me so much better if I would have known, like, okay, there's a process to this. Right. And so what's tough at a college and high school level too is there's so much that they're trying to cover, right? They, you know, even if a student has gone through high school automotive, when they get to college, you have students there that haven't. So they've still got to start from day one. Right. So they're trying to cover brakes. They're trying to cover suspension and, you know, all the areas. And then if they're a NATEF school, they're trying to make sure that they're, you know, taking care of that as well. So time is a big thing where they struggle that, that, you know, they don't have the time to get deeply involved, but at the same time, maybe they've got instructors too, that are there is it's a job and it's not a career. And they're towards the end of that uh, job, you know, they're near retirement age and they're just kind of, they don't want to learn anything else. They want to teach what they know. So there's both sides of it. I think that students would do well to learn it. I think it would certainly help, but how they could incorporate it into the curriculum. You know, I've thought a lot about, um, and maybe years from now doing something with a training center outside of schools that kids can come to, um, because it really, the other side of it too, is that they've got to have people there, obviously that want to teach it or 
um, can teach it. And I have some, you know, phenomenal instructors that I go to lunch with on a regular basis uh, locally here. And then some in North Carolina too, that, you know, they come to training all the time. They're there. Um, there's, you know, a few throughout the U S I would say that I know personally that come to training all the time. Now those guys could teach it. Um, there's also several that I know that come to training, but they're stuck teaching the curriculum the way, you know, organizations want it written. So, and I've seen two places that <laughs> have somebody that they don't know, um, a perfect example. He's going to probably kill me for this one, but <laughs> a good buddy of mine, Scott Shotton, um, college educator and phenomenal diagnostic technician, mobile diagnostic tech and phenomenal trainer. Um, we found a girl that went through his program that was, I forget how she came about. She was related to somebody else that we knew. And we've realized through Facebook that she was one of his students. She had no clue that he was like a world renowned trainer. So we pretty much all threw him under the bus and we're like, Hey, just so you know. And he's like, yeah, nobody at the college really knows what I you know, do outside of this. So they had him here. He could have taught that, but they had no clue that that was what he did. So that was a oh. kind of interesting thing. And we see that he wasn't the only one. Um, I've seen it with other colleges where, you know, they have this set curriculum they need to teach. And, you know, <laughs> if the instructor is humble and doesn't say anything that that's, you know, he has a background in diagnostics, you know, they don't even know anything about it. Yeah, so, that's that's we're we're trying to help with that on the wrenchway side too because we we see that constantly. We're trying to get you know communication not only with industry and schools but within schools like to try and get a little bit more progressive because it does feel like a lot of stuff falls between the cracks. And I think at times it might be because it, that you know it, frankly the programs fall low on their priority list, right? And yes, it, it uh, they you know, they're doing their thing over in that shop. We're going to leave them alone uh, and not worry about it. So, um, so we're, we're, we got about 10 minutes left. One of the things that I want to talk a little bit more in depth about is, you know, to kind of circle back to the original part of our conversation, which was on that mobile diagnostic side. When we look at the future of mobile diagnostics, I think there's, there's a little bit of both ends of the spectrum where, some people think it's going to take over everything. Some people think it's a, like, you know, w- one example of an area where I think it's there's people that cr- struggle to get their hands around is, is this something that can work in the north, right? Like if yep. you can work in cold weather climates, I think, you know, in, in really isolating diagnostics from repair, right? Because I think yep. they're they're really, really different when it comes to that exact question. Am I, yep. is that somewhat on base yeah yeah 100 percent on base so getting it to work in the north is hard um that was why i moved away i mean you can't look at a car out in two feet of snow with that said it will work if shops make room for it you know they'd have to make room have an area where a car could be pulled in um one side of that the you know is the collision side of it but looking at you know the future moving forward um, you know, ADOS stuff is something that some of the mobile guys are doing well in the north or, or anywhere that it snows. Um, you know, you can't be outside in the snow doing that because you can't mark the ground where you need to make your measurements. And obviously the car can't be covered with snow when you're doing it. So, you know, that's going to have to be moved inside. So it could be done. They have to think about how they do it. Um, the other thing that's just interesting to look at is that division, I would say, between the repair side and the diagnostic side. Uh, I'll be the first to say that I've worked pretty hard through the years to kind of make that division known that, you know, look, there's a huge gap from, I would even say in the guys at ASE, you know, I love them and, and they know I feel this way that between a master tech and then a diagnostic tech, you know, they do have the L1 test and, you know, some of my really good friends are the ones that have helped write the L1 test. And I think that's a phenomenal test, but you're still looking at, you know, is somebody that is quote unquote, a master technician and a tech 
a diagnostic tech and the answer to that is no so there's certainly a division between somebody doing repair work and doing diagnostic work now can somebody be good at both yeah i mean i did it for years i did anything from engines to brakes to tires to oil changes and then you know a day later i could be diagnosing a communication problem so there's certainly guys that can do it but there's also it's gotten to a point in the career or in the industry i would say where they don't really have to. Um, there's larger mobile diagnostic companies out there that are hiring people. There's also several um, OEMs that have figured out that, hey, we have a need for this. We're having issues with warranty problems. We should be building these, you know, teams of diagnostic technicians. So there's a couple that are, you know, in their infancy right now of doing that, but that have reached out and said, you know, this is what we're trying to do. We're trying to put these teams together. Um, you know, training departments too. Some of them are still trying to hire, you know, more guys in their training departments. So there's gotten to be where that divide is, you know, pretty pronounced, I guess I would say. And you're seeing now a lot of technicians that were like myself that do, you know, did both are kind of making that decision. Okay. Do I enjoy the repair side more? Do I, you know, enjoy the diagnostic side more? And they're able to jump ship and go do something else. Um, I think that, as the future goes, you know, some people have felt that mobile diagnostics will go away as, you know, things like uh, over the air updates and stuff like that for programming uh, become a normal thing. I'm totally fine with that. I, the programming side of it, I'll be completely honest, drives me nuts because it constantly changes and you're at the mercy of all of us are programming with factory tools. So, but if the factory tool has a problem, you're at the mercy of them, you know, they're having staffing problems, especially during COVID GM in particular. Uh, I had an issue a couple months ago that I called over there and I couldn't get anybody. So I called the uh, director of North America for that program. And I'm like, I can't get anybody. I need an answer. And he's like, yeah, we don't have any staff. So, you know, everybody's having staffing issues, not just us and, you know, for technicians. So with that said, you know, I would welcome the over the air updates and stuff. <laughs> so that side of the mobile diagnostic stuff will eventually go away, but there's still going to have to be somebody that knows how to diagnose the car. Now, will guys like myself eventually become employed by manufacturers and, you know, the manufacturers start building these massive teams to where that's where guys like me end up. Um, I think that's a possibility. I mean, I think looking at, you know, the one in particular that I know that's doing it right now, it's a, you know, pretty big manufacturer. Um, and I know of several others that, you know, have done stuff like that through the years. So, or, you know, companies like I work for now, WorldPack, will WorldPack, you know, expand? Will these other training companies expand? Will, let's say, just Toyota out of the blue, will Toyota, sure. you know, expand their training department and they'll, you know, all of a sudden need more? So, I think the future for mobile diagnostics is still going to be there, but I think the bigger thing is that, you know, the future of just a diagnostic tech, I think you're going to see, you know, other people trying to get them versus just a repair shop or dealership. And I think you're going to see them kind of move away from, I guess I would say the regular repair. I look at, you know, the amount of things that I'm involved in. Will I ever go to, back to an independent repair shop and pick up a wrench Unfortunately, probably not. I mean, it's just not something, A, I don't have time now, but B, if I were to say tomorrow, hey, I'm done with training and I'm done with mobile diagnostics, you know, there's enough other things out there with what I do and companies that I've been involved with that would prefer to, you know, just grab somebody like that. So, and all the rest of the mobile diet guys are kind of the same. So will that divide ever go away in the future? I don't think so. I don't either. I, I think it's, and it, it's not like this technology is getting less complicated, right? Like it, it's, it just continues to grow, continues to evolve. And, and, you know, I watched a couple of videos, I think on YouTube where you had a couple of techs freaking out because they're like, Oh, this electric car thing is going to take over our jobs and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, you're just going to have to adapt. It's not going to, there's still going to be plenty of work. I it just, that, that's my opinion. There's, they're still going to break. I'd, yeah. Yeah. They, they definitely are still going to break. So a good buddy of mine, Seth Thorson, he's been, you know, diving right in with Tesla stuff um, and looking at, you know, there's certainly some things you got to learn. My good buddy, Isaac, he taught this weekend, a hybrid class. Um, Isaac's a hybrid and EV guru. Uh, Isaac and myself both went through uh, ZF was doing a 
project a while back and Isaac and I both had to get certified to help with that. Um, so Isaac and I are both certified high voltage experts, which means that we could go to Europe um, and teach the high voltage program. The, you know, the program that we took is the same program that BMW has to use to train their engineers to work on their hybrids. So, you know, there's ways to get certified in it. There's ways to learn that technology and then move forward with that. And like I said, they're going to break. And even on a repair side, they're still, you know, Seth found with the Teslas, they're still having issues with, you know, seals on a, where a CV shaft goes in and leaking fluid out of that, or, you know, ball joint issues or tie rod issues, you know, brakes are going to become an interesting thing though, because brakes are going to last, you know, hundred, 120,000 miles because of regenerative braking. So, you know, will companies like brakes plus and stuff if we ever go into full-on you know ev will they take a hit yeah but they'll adapt right. um you know and and so will all these other companies so electric vehicles is an interesting thing but they're still going to break and i guess the thing to think about too is you know we do see drivability issues drivability is something i always enjoyed on a gas engine but i can tell you right now 99 percent of my mobile business has nothing to do with drivability. So much of it is electrical stuff and mobilizer stuff. And that's not going to change on an electric car. It's still going to have a key that goes in that needs to be recognized. Um, it's still going to have, you know, blend door motors that are moving for heating positions. It's still going to have, you know, odometer functions and programming functions. You know, if an over the air update fails, it's still going to cause problems. So the electrical side is never going to go away. And that's, you know, what most guys like myself, you know, specialize in. So yeah. it's certainly not going to, I don't think, take jobs away. I do think that knowing, you know, that there could be less, you know, brakes being put on and maybe less tires being put on and stuff like that. You know, our technician is going to need to learn the electrical side of it. Yeah. I mean, that's certainly something that they're going to have to do. Um, but is it so unobtainable that people can't do it no it's certainly you can learn it you're certainly going to have to put the time in to do it and go seek out the training for it because unfortunately i don't feel you know what you're going to get in two years of college for that are going to be adequate just because they don't have time but you can certainly find the training for it. i mean there's all kinds of ev and electric vehicle training out there right now already so we know what our next podcast is going to be about oh <laughs> no no we we, we I, this electric vehicle thing is fascinating to me and i think we could have a whole episode on that but i think it does really play into the mobile diagnostics and and i think you know as as you're seeing like your community of mobile diagnosticians diagnosticians that yep. that's a tough word we need it we need an easy <laughs> easier word for that i think yeah. uh, <laughs> as that community grows i mean it just it's cool to see all, all of you extremely talented guys out there and gals uh, doing this. And, and um, I think it shows the way of another path that if somebody wants to go that route, that there's, there's going to be a ton of opportunity out there for that. And so I think um, we're, we're out of time, but I, I, as usual, we could use about another four hours to go on Tanner. Um, but, but I, you know, I, I just think this is a fascinating subject and, and I don't think this is the last time that you and I will be talking about this because I think there's, there's so much to it. And as we dive into it and really from the training side to the, the actual diagnostics to the, you know, if, if there's a tech that might be interested in going that route, you know, how do, how do they start to get into it? I just think there's so much more that we can talk about that we can't cover in an hour. Uh, so hopefully we'll get you back on again at some point soon. Yeah, for sure. Well, thank you again for joining me. We, uh, we love having you. You're a, a huge friend of Finder Wrench and Wrenchway. We appreciate everything you do for the industry and, and uh, look forward to the next one. Well, thank you very much. And thanks for having me.